We're in a study on the wrath of God, which basically is a study of His holiness and His justice. His wrath is measured out based upon the fact that we have made a complete wreck of His creation through that which is created in us called sin. And since the fall of Adam, it's one element that exists in God's creation that has no right to exist. He didn't call it forth. He didn't create it. Rebellion created it. And we continue to generate it. And so there is a time when God came to help us through this disease unto death so that He delivered us from it. But there is a time now where He is going to have to cleanse all that is from sin and dispose of it. What I want to share with you this morning concerning the wrath of God, the judgment and justice of God, is that I want you to see the justice of Jesus. I want you to see Jesus, maybe in a light that you've never seen Him before, but it's the full ramification of His being and the fullness of His nature. We so often see Him as the Good Shepherd, our brother, our co-heir, one who died for us, our high priest, lover of our soul, and He is all those things. But there's a further dimension to Him that we need to grasp and understand. So I want to share with you a story that happened in John chapter 8. You might be aware of this story. It's a story of a woman and a man that were caught in adultery. They dragged the lady out in public and they were ready to stone her because that's what the Levitical law required. It's an interesting story if you review it. What's interesting about it is it says that they caught this couple in the act of adultery. And so as they drag this woman out of the bedroom of this situation where adultery is going on, I kind of find it interesting that we don't know where the guy is. But anyways, they take the lady out and they're ready to stone her and it was the correct and right thing to do according to God's law. But Jesus shows up. How many of you are glad that Jesus showed up for you? Jesus showed up for you. And what Jesus did was something fascinating. He wrote in the sand. Now no one knows what He wrote in the sand. Right? No one knows exactly if He wrote a list of sins or if He... Whatever He did. I don't think He had to write anything in the sand at all. Personally, what I think Jesus did was I believe He drew a line in the sand. Because what happened when Jesus did this, He drew a line in the sand. As He drew in the sand, He then said, To him, without any sin, let him cast the first stone. Now, He called them out, didn't He? And what's interesting about this is if He drew a line in the sand as He would draw it, He's on one side and everybody else is on the other. If there was anyone who could have picked up a stone according to the law of God and stoned that woman, it would have been Jesus because he was without stone. I'm sorry, without sin. Therefore, without stone. Right? And what he said to the woman is, woman, where are your accusers? I do not accuse you. Therefore, go and what? Was that possible for her? No, it was not. (laughs) Not until the cross of Christ. Then it became possible. Why why, Why did we have to wait till the cross of Christ? 
Because we're all sinners. There's nothing we can do but sin. But because of the cross of Jesus, that blood cleanses us from our sin so that the Holy Spirit of God can come into us and give us the power not to sin. But Jesus didn't get into that explanation at that point. He just told her, you needed to go live a righteous life. Now, what's interesting is that when Jesus drew in the sand, I believe He drew a line from there on out, distinguishing Himself from all others. That He alone is holy and true and pure. He alone is the mediator between God and man. He alone is the spotless Lamb that can deal with sin. He came not to condemn, but to save those that are lost. By drawing that line, He put everybody else on the opposition of His justice and righteousness to say, is there anyone here that can have no sin in them? No, it is only through Christ. You need to come across that line to Him. You can't remedy your situation till you come across the line unto Jesus. And the world draws lines every day and people make distinctions. There's one line you need to cross and that's to get on this side of the wrath of God. You need to come to the mercy of Jesus Christ, your Savior. If not, you stand condemned. That's what John 3.16 says, right? That uh, whoever believes on Christ Jesus will be saved. John 17 says, but he who does not is condemned already. Jesus made a distinguished line, a distinct line between mercy and wrath, between grace and judgment. And so that line is essential. We've lost that line when we preach the gospel. We are not preaching the fact that people are doomed to hell, that they're condemned under the wrath of God. We've been over this, haven't we? And so what we want to do is encourage them to come across that line, identify themselves as sinners in need of salvation. Come to the mercy of God. That line was drawn eternally by the cross of Jesus Christ, wasn't it? And so what we're going to do now is look at Jesus. Jesus is the only one who could draw that line on planet earth and make the distinction between all mankind and himself. He is the judge, the righteous judge of all mankind. In fact, look at Hebrews chapter 9. It says this in verse 27 and 28. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. Can I just stop there real quick? That, has, that verse is very good to put an end to uh, reincarnation. Okay, There is no reincarnation. You don't come back as something else and something else trying to reach and work through karma to get to your perfection. It is appointed unto man to die once and then the judgment. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting. What this points out to us is this. Jesus came the first time not to condemn, but to save us from sin. He died on the cross for us. He took the wrath of God against sin upon Himself so that we would not have to. His full intention in His first coming was to save us 
from the wrath of God. He did that through the blood. He did that by offering Himself as the eternal sacrifice for all mankind. Now, He's done with that. Alright? The provision has been made. There's no other name under heaven by which men may be saved. There's no other provision but the blood of Jesus for being saved from our sin. Right? Alright. When He comes again, the sin issue's done. He is coming now to planet earth the second time as the judge. It's over. People aren't going to be ready for it. There are going to be many who think, you didn't give me enough time. 2,000 years? Not enough time to deal with this issue? When He comes, He's already made the propitiation for sin. He's made the sacrifice. He's called His people into His kingdom. He's calling whosoever will to come unto salvation to remove sin from them. So when He comes again, He's gathering His people and He's putting an end to this creation as we know it. It's over. The judge is now going to make judgment and clean and gather everything up that is of sin and dispose of it. Alright? That's why He's coming again. And this is the Jesus we need to know. This is the Jesus we need to understand. Do you eagerly await Him? Huh? Are you waiting for Him? Now look at God's wrath in this final sense, is not aimed to improve us or make us holy, but to destroy sin and eternally judge it. He already came once to cleanse us from it. He's coming now to clean it up and to get rid of it. It's His holy justice. Now, who is going to do this work? Who will be the judge of the earth and how will it be accomplished? Let me share this aspect of Jesus with you. In John 5.22, Jesus said this, The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. Who better to judge sin than the one, in fact, who came to conquer sin? Who better than the one who offered salvation to all to be the one who then declares the final judgment? For when Jesus stands there before all nations, all people, throughout all history and time, and He holds up His hands to declare who will be saved and who will not, all you need to do is look at His hands. And what will you see? The nail prints, the cost that it took for Him to bring salvation to us. There'll be no speeches. There'll be no discussion. There'll be no uh, try to arrange an agreement. It's over. It's done. Judgment has come. Many of you might have thought that God was going to judge. Uh, God the Father. Some of you think that maybe the angels, this or that. It's Jesus Christ who will be the judge as to determine heaven or hell for people. Acts 10.42, Peter said this in, uh, to Cornelius, and he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. Jesus is the judge of mankind. Jesus, Jesus will judge the nations. Jesus will judge the angels. And we will be seated with him. That's awesome. What side of the line do you want to be on? 
when he drew that line and stood opposed to those who had sin or those who were to sin no more, what side of the line do you run to? Amen? Let's go on and understand this. John 12, 48. Jesus said, The one who rejects me and does not receive my word has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. That's what Jesus said. The one who rejects me and does not receive my word has a judge, in essence, already. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. So let me ask you something. How important is this word? It's very important. It's the salvation of the world. Who are the stewards of this word? The church. How have we been doing with that? No. This is why we must have a vision of Christ Jesus in all His glory. Not just the Good Shepherd. Not just our buddy and our pal. Not just our friend and uh, our high priest and intercessor who gives us everything we want. But we need to see Him as the judge of all the earth. The one who is righteous and holy by which all things were created and by which He will bring all things under His feet. And this Word will judge all nations and all people. We need to give clarity to this Word. We need to help people understand Jesus is here for you. He died for you. You don't want to be caught on the wrong side of the line He drew or the Word He spoke. The Word is inviting It's an invitation to salvation. It's an invitation to grace. If you don't accept this invitation, you are under the wrath of God. God cannot make things right. How many of you want things made right? Come on, how many of you want right? Everybody wants what is just and right. We want people who violently kill other people to be brought to justice. We want what is fair and right. People who have stolen and taken from us and ripped us off and taken what is not theirs. We want it returned. We want what is wrong made right. We want what is broken to be fixed. We want what is torn apart to be made whole. Well, if you want it righted, it has to be shown to be wrong. If you want rightness, you have to understand what is wrong. If you want good, you have to expose evil. This is what makes sense. And if you want God to be just, He must and has to condemn sin. That brings us to an understanding of Jesus that might be ferocious and terrifying to you. And rightly so. We take Him too lightly. We have to understand that He's a lover of our soul and gentle and kind and good through His grace, but we also have to understand He is good and He is holy and He is pure and He is righteous and He opposes that which is evil. C.S. Lewis put it this way, God is the only comfort and also the supreme terror. The thing we most need And the thing we most hide from. He is our only possible ally. And we have made ourselves His enemy. Some talk as if meeting the gaze of absolute goodness would be fun. They need to think about it again. 
We need to see Jesus so high and lifted up and so glorious in his nature and being as the creator and judge of all things that we would fall on our face in fear of a holy God. A consuming fire. Think about John. The Apostle John was called the beloved Apostle. The Apostle Jesus loved. We see, I've told you this before, he rests his head on Jesus' bosom. Hey, he's very close to him. But what happened when he saw Jesus on the Isle of Patmos? When he saw Jesus glorified in all his glory, he fell on his face as if dead. His voice became the voice of many waters. A two-edged sword came out of his mouth. His eyes were as of fire. He is the judge of all man. He is the Savior of mankind, but yet He is also the judge of all mankind. It's an interesting thing to understand Jesus in this manner. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 7. He says, When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with His mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord. That's not polite. It's not even politically correct. But you see, Jesus is not concerned with human politics. He is the king of all kings. In his kingdom, he's the only king. You don't elect another. He is the Lord of lords. And in him, all things are made right and true and pure. It says that he's coming with flames of fire, inflicting vengeance. That's a part of Jesus we don't talk about much, do we? Turn with me to Revelation 19 and let's get a clearer picture of this Jesus as He comes to judge the world. Revelation 19.15 says this. From His mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. Alright, that's not an itty-bitty sword. And it's not talking about individuals. It's talking about striking down nations. It's based on Daniel uh, and Nebuchadnezzar's vision or dream of the statue of all the nations in world history. And you see the head of gold, which is Babylon, and the the breastplate, the righteousness uh, of of silver, which is uh, the Medo-Persian Empire, and then the bronze, which was Greek, and then the legs of iron, which is Rome. And all these world... Uh, ruling nations. But at the end of that dream, there is a rock honed out of a mountain of God, not by human hands, and it comes and it destroys the image of all human politics and all human nations and world leaders. And the sword of His mouth, it says, will destroy. In other words, His word. He will just speak a word and all the nations will crumble in His presence. He's God! Okay? He's God. He came with great humility. He came with great meekness, wrapped in a barnyard in swaddling clothes, running for his life from human government. And as he's being questioned by human government, and they say, are you the Son of God? He says, you rightly say so in Matthew 25. And he says, when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne, and before Him will be gathered all nations. Jesus says this, 
that you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power, coming on the clouds of heaven. That made the Pharisees and the high priest very upset. Because he was saying he was going to sit on the throne of power. That's God's throne. And he said, I am going to come in the clouds with judgment and power. Basically, what he was saying is this. You are holding me in this courtroom under your authority to condemn me. Uh, Am I the Messiah? You say rightly, because I am coming with all my glory. You'll see me seated on the throne of God. And when I return, I will come with all power and judgment. I wouldn't want to be the high priest in that. And so again, a reference in Daniel 9 to the Son of Man who is coming with power to judge the earth from the Ancient of Days. We go on with Revelation 19, and it says, From out of His mouth comes a sword which will strike down the nations. He will rule them with a rod of iron. Jeremiah talks about this. Ezekiel talks about the rod of, God's, uh, the rod of iron of God's judgment will destroy the clay vessel. This is Jesus. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. And on His robe and on His thigh, He has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. We will all see Him as the greatest ruler, the greatest man of all time. He is God in the flesh. Now what's interesting is the visual picture He gives. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. Looking at Jesus again, I mean, every time we have pictures of Jesus, it's interesting, I, you know, you Google this, I look for pictures when I'm trying to come up with some PowerPoints for us to kind of get an idea of. You really can't find Jesus as judge and in authority. Nobody wants to paint that picture. We've got him staring in space, happy, loving, which is good, and he is, he is all that. But it's interesting that nobody can come to the place to consider Him in the wrath of God. I just don't think it's foreign to us to understand that. But it says He's coming in the winepress of the wrath of God. When you look at that Scripture, now what is a winepress? What they used to do is they used to take grapes, right? And they'd put it in a vat. And they'd get in and you'd trample it. And you'd squish it down, and what would happen? You would crush all the juices out of the wine, out of the grapes, and produce that river of wine. It says that Jesus is going to be in the wine press, and what is he treading on? The wrath of God. He is coming. Now, again, this is Jesus. Hallelujah. But we've not seen him in this manner. As he is trampling out the wrath of God, he's pressing it, pressing it. God has been patient with mankind throughout all human history. He has tolerated the injustices of man, the railing against God, the slander against his name, the violence the, and, and the horrible things that man has done from the beginning of time. He has tolerated He has provided salvation for mankind through His blood, done everything He can to gather man unto Himself, and now it's over. And the wrath is going to pour out. And He is coming 
as Lord of Lords and King of Kings. That's Jesus, not another. It says in Matthew 25 that when He comes to judge the nations, He shall set the sheep on one side and the goats on another. Those who are righteous and acted rightly and those who had failed to do that. And it says this, that He will tell them, uh, Depart from Me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Can I ask you a question? This eternal fire, it's called Gehenna or the lake of fire or hell, eternal judgment. It was prepared in that scripture, it says, prepared for the devil and his angels. Can I ask you something? Who prepared it? Specifically, Jesus. If you'll remember John 1.1, well, I'm sorry, John 1 verse 2 All things were created by Him. There was nothing that was made if it wasn't made by Jesus. So who made hell? Jesus. We don't think of that, do we? Who is the one that preached more about hell than any other prophet of God? Jesus. Who spoke about hell more than anyone else in the Bible? Jesus. Do you get why? He created it. Why was Jesus so worried and so filled with the love of God to reach the lost? Because He knew hell was waiting for those who would not receive this offer of salvation. Hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. It wasn't intended for mankind, but man fell and disobeyed and rebelled against God. God so loved the world, He sent the Son. The devil and his angels were already judged and condemned to hell. And he was going to send them there. But now because of the fall of man, man was going to go there. Because in the end, everything that is of rebellion and sin must go into that lake of fire. Why did Jesus design hell? Why? Because he's an ogre? Because he's evil? Because he's bad? No. We'll get into this next week. But the reason he designed hell is to protect eternity forever in righteousness because angels are eternal beings demons are eternal beings and you have to contain them if you don't contain them they will continue to be unruly and disobedient through all time so he created hell as a containment center to keep evil rebellion and sin contained from the beauty of his creation And he had to do that for fallen man because man is an eternal being as well. And evil and sin is an ever-increasing thing. And if we die and lock into a sinful nature for eternity, we will increase in our sinfulness and we need to be put in a containment place so that he can come, judge the world, cleanse it by the fire of his power, and bring his creation into the full beauty he intended to create it to be. You never thought of Jesus as the one who created hell. He's the one who will judge and condemn to hell. But most importantly, he's the one who comes to bring salvation from hell. And so in Christ, we see all in all. We see he is the Savior and the judge. He is the righteous God perfect in all his ways what are the judgments that are coming first of all the first judgment was at the cross 
He gave His life in judgment for you and I. He took the wrath of God upon sin upon Himself in our place where we should die. He drew a line and said, Take me, not them. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And He took the wrath of God so that we could have our sins forgiven. The next judgment we see is He will come to judge the nations, as I explained. He'll judge Israel in that He will judge the angels. He will rule and reign on the earth for a thousand years. And in that thousand years, the demonic realm, the devil, will be locked up. And we will see what this world was supposed to be like all along. Under the rule and reign of Jesus. How many of you can't wait for that? My goodness. Praise God. No inequality, no prejudices, no hatred, no war. No lack of food, no lack of economy, no lack of anything. Everything provided for in perfect harmony and peace as God created it to be. No sin, no death, no hatred, no anger. Wow. That's what God longs for, for His people. And it will come. And then will come the judgment. Now, there will be a judgment for the saints. We discussed that last week. The judgment seat of Christ. That judgment seat of Christ is for us. But it indicates not whether we're going to heaven or hell because that's already distinguished by your faith in Jesus Christ. We'll stand before the judgment seat of Jesus to determine our rewards. What you did with the Holy Spirit in you. What you've done with your life. I mentioned this earlier. Young people, you have an advantage here. I guess. You're young. You have many years ahead of you to serve God and to store up in heaven where rust and moth and, and thieves cannot take what you store up as a reward for heaven. Some of the older folks, you, you wish you had done more with your life for the glory of God so that on that day when your gifts are shown either wood, hay, and stubble or gold, silver, and precious stone, 1 Corinthians 3, you, you, you would have wished you had more time. It says we will suffer loss. We will, we will weep over what we could have done for Christ. We get too caught up in this world. We get too caught up in our own selves and our own things. And we all could serve Christ in a greater way, couldn't we? Because there will be a day where we will see Him face to face. Now we'll see Him as our Savior. We'll thank God on that day before His judgment seat. We'll thank God He's our Savior. But on that day, I don't know if I could lift my head up. It says, no flesh shall glory in His sight. I, I will just be grateful that I'm there. And what I've done unto God, I, I did unto Him by His power and strength in me. And if there's any reward, I'll give it back because I know it wasn't me, but Him who strengthened me to present it to Him. And so the judgment seat of Christ will refine us and show us our lives devoted unto Him. And it, what's really wonderful about it, it will burn away what didn't matter so that all that remains is what does matter to Him. That's good. Amen? And that's Christ. That is our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ who is coming to judge this earth and this planet. So I want to read to you 
what is going to take place in the end. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 24. We conclude with this. The consummation of all things takes place through Jesus Christ who is gathering all things together. Basically, that's what's going on. Christ is sitting on His throne. He is gathering a people unto Himself. And when that people has come and that time is fulfilled, He will then gather all the wheat from the chaff that it may be burned. And He will clean up creation and make all His enemies His footstool so that He can present it to the Father. It says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 24, Then comes the end. When He, Jesus, delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For He must reign until He has put all enemies under His feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For God has put all things in subjection under His feet. But when He says all things are put in subjection, it's plain that He is accepted who put all things in subjection under Him. When all things are subjected to Him, then the Son Himself will also be subjected to Him who put all things in subjection under Him, that God may be all in all. Basically, it's this. Make it real simple. Jesus, who has gathered a people unto His name through God's grace and salvation, will come and say, it's over The end has now come. And He will gather all that is rebellious and all that is against God unto His authority, under His feet, and remove it to hell in its containment so that He can bring all things to God and present it to the Father so that God will be in authority over all things. And we will be in that group of redeemed people. So I ask in conclusion, what side of the line do you stand on when Jesus drew that land in the, that line in the sand? Will you stand on the side of one who does not condemn or to those who are already condemned? Come to Jesus who does not condemn you but by His grace saves you because there's coming a day when He will step across that line to finish everything. He is Almighty. And to Him is given a name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. For those in heaven, those on earth, and those under the earth will confess Him as Lord to the glory of the Father. You will see Jesus. You will see Him as Savior and as Judge. I pray you will see Him through the eyes of His grace and mercy. Let's bow our heads.